2 Timothy chapter number 1. Notice verse number 1. And we'll read through verse number 8. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life. Can I just say to you this morning, the world will promise you a lot, but only Jesus can promise life. The promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. As my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me His prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Notice verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. This is Paul's swan song, his last epistle. He is pouring out his heart to his beloved son in the faith. He is giving him final instructions in the faith because he knows his departure is soon. I've preached five different sermons out of verses 1 through 7 to our young people in the last six weeks. I'm going to spend some more time there today, but I'm going to look at it from a total different perspective today. I'm preaching to you on this subject today, attributes of a spiritual father. You can interpret that title in many different ways. I will explain more as we go. But whether you be a biological father, an adopted father, or a mentor, legal guardian, whatever the case might be today, we all need to be spirit-filled fathers and mothers and men and women of God for our children's sake. You say, I'm not a father. This sermon is not for me. Listen, friend, my goal is always to win the lost to evangelize and to encourage the saints. But today I simply have an additional goal, and that is to lead those of us who have children to a deeper place of devotion before the Lord to be the Father that God has called us all to be. As a believer in Christ, our greatest call is to love the Lord our God with all our being. Secondly, the Bible says that we are to love our uh, husbands, are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And as a father, we are to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, not provoking them. In fact, the first and greatest place to make disciples is in the home. But it's not easy. Now, man, I want you to know I'm walking with you today. I'm learning some things as I go. Everything I'm going to say to you today, I'm saying to myself. So, Dad, I'm going to get in your personal space this morning. 
It's one thing to be a man, but it's altogether something else to be a man of God. Dad, husband, it's not the responsibility of the wife alone to make disciples in the home. In fact, if your children do not see you chase the heart and ways of God, they'll, they may not ever own their faith. You do realize that. Likewise, wives, the husbands cannot teach the daughter how to be a godly woman, but the wife can. The man cannot teach the, the, the daughter. The, the wife cannot teach the son. We must do it corporately together and according to the Scripture. Now listen to what I'm going to say. I'm quite confident and convinced deep down in my soul that every ounce of rebellion in the home, we know where it comes from. It comes from the father of deceit, the father of lies, who is the devil. Rebellion is a, is, it's a, a, a natural thing for us who are in our flesh to walk away from God. In, in our flesh today, every one of us will rebel against God. We will. But in the home, mom and dad... If the children do not see you submit to the authority of God in the home, the dad not submitting to the leadership of Christ, the mom not submitting to the leadership of Christ, and the husband as the head, the the physical representation of God in the home, if they see rebellion in you, they'll give rebellion to you. That's what the children will do. Dad, you do realize if there's no respect in the home coming from you, there'll be no respect. There's no care in your home unless it comes from you, friend. There'll be no care unless you give it. I'm learning all this. I'm learning firsthand how this works. So just like the Lord tells us, our children need to understand that we are not against them. We're for them. God be for you who can be against you, right? And so God is for us. We need to be for our children. We love them even when they are wrong. And when they are wrong, we treat them the same way we do every other sinner in the world. We hate their sin. We love them still. Amen. And so we're going to pray today and we're going to ask God to show us many things throughout this text as we look at the subject of attributes of a spiritual father. Would you pray with me? As we're bowing our heads, would you just ask God today, would you speak to me? From your heart to heaven, say, God, would you speak to me today? Whether you be man, woman, boy, or girl, the Spirit of God, ask God to communicate to us today. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for allowing us together here today. Now, God, we ask God for you to both will and do for your good pleasure in this service today. God, I have nothing in me God, of eternal value. God, I, outside of your spirit, God, I cannot produce anything. So God, I pray today that you would work in me and through me for the glory of God. Uh, God, that someone who's lost today might be saved. That God, someone who's backslidden might come back home to you today. God, uh, we as fathers might walk closer to you today. And Lord, as mothers, that the, they might come and God just fall humbly at your feet today. God, that's all I want today. God, for you to be magnified, you to be glorified. God, I pray today that in this moment that you would totally captivate our attention, that the Spirit of God would speak straight into the heart of man and do the work that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look back into our text concerning attributes of a spiritual father, notice first with me in verse number 2, the evidence of a spiritual adoption. 
2 Timothy 1-2 says, To Timothy, a beloved son. Concerning this young man, Timothy, we know that he was a half-Jew, half-Gentile, living in a Gentile world. A Jewish mother, a, a Greek father, raised in the area of Lystra. Sounds like a, 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 a concoction for disaster right there, doesn't it? And so we, we, we're not told specifically the details of Timothy's conversion, but many believe that Timothy was converted on Paul's first missionary journey to this area. Uh, maybe Timothy as a toddler or as a young teen was standing in the shadows in Acts 14 when Paul came along and uh, the miracle working power of God flowed out through his words and reached into the life of that crippled man who had been lame from his mother's womb. Maybe Timothy was standing in the background there and, he, and maybe he knew this man who had been crippled or, and saw him uh, lame one day but leaping the next and uh, just absolutely God used that to grab his attention. Maybe Timothy was also standing in the crowd that day in Acts 14 when the priests of Jupiter came and, and they snatched up uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas thinking they were the, the Greek gods Jupiter and Mercur, Mercurius and, and they wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Maybe Timothy saw Paul broken hearted over that situation hearing Christ preach to them and was converted in that moment. Maybe that's where Timothy was converted regardless of when or how we know he was. And by the time Paul shows up on his second missionary journey, Acts 16.1, the Bible says that there was a certain disciple who dwelled there named Timothy. It was a young disciple. Now let me just say here, in reference to Paul's second missionary journey, for the few in our church who think we should not continuously go to other places around the world to share the gospel, we know that Paul went to the same places multiple times. Why? Because the harvest was still plentiful. Amen? And so if you're one who wants to dictate when and where we should go on missions, thinking we should only stay local, I just want to ask you a question this morning. How many souls are you winning in Lebanon? Don't dictate where everybody else goes if you're not doing it here. Friend, listen. Don't hinder those who are trying to make a difference in the kingdom of God. I want all of Lebanon to be saved. But Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. When Paul meets this young Timothy on his second missionary journey to the area, Acts 16 tells us that not only was he a certain disciple, but he also had a great report among the people. I wonder in Lebanon today, what kind of report do you have among the people? How do they see you? What do they know you? Do they know you as a man or woman of God or do they see you as a hypocrite today? When you walk out through those doors today, what kind of impact are you going to have in the lives of those around you based upon your testimony? In Philippians 2, Paul makes it plain. This young man, Timothy, shared the mind of Christ with him. So there seems to be, have been an automatic connection. Paul takes Timothy with him and much ministry begins. Uh, at Philippians 2.22, Paul speaking of Timothy says, But you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Now I know when I read the text and, and, and you heard of Paul's mother and his grandmother, you thought, what kind of Father's Day sermon is this, right? That ought to be a Mother's Day sermon. But notice again in verse number 2, Paul says, a beloved son. You see that? Paul calls him a beloved son. It's the same word usage that's found in the account of our Lord's baptism when, when God's voice was heard from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The King James Version translates that 
as dearly beloved. It seems that there was an instant bond, an automatic connection that produced a deep affection in Paul's heart toward Timothy. Romans 8.15, Paul speaking of what takes place at salvation, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, thank God, but you received the spirit of adoption by which you cry out, Abba, Father. Now friend, that verse speaks to me in much the same way it would speak to Brother Travis because I too, my earthly father, left when I was born. The man that raised me, not an ounce of his blood runs through my body, but that's who I call daddy. And so I'm quite confident today that God placed that up on his heart to speak to you so that I might in turn speak to you because somebody here today needs to realize you're not alone. So it seems that Paul has imitated that very thing in Timothy's life, the very very same thing that God had done in his life. He adopts Timothy through the faith and calls him a beloved son. As far as we know, Paul had no children of his own, not even a wife. But when he looked at Timothy, I can almost hear him say, that's my boy. That's my boy. But for different reasons than what many in our world would say today. He's not looking at Timothy and saying, that's my boy for athletics or academics, but when he looks at his boy, Timothy, he thinks of the Almighty. He thinks of God. He thinks of his faith. Today, Americans, uh, we, we would think about how many touchdowns my boy scored, how many, how many home runs my boy hit in baseball, how many times he did this or did that, but not Paul. Paul is looking at Timothy concerning the ways of God. Many, many American dads today would look at their son's walk in immorality. And they'd say, that's my boy. Daddy, can I say to you today, if that's your attitude, the best thing you could do for your family is fall on this altar and get right with God. It's disgusting before God. I mean, we need to raise our children to flee from immoral things, to run from the flesh into the arms of the Almighty. And so we see Timothy as a beloved son. Now hear this blessing that Paul gives to him. In verse number 2 still, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice who those are from. They are from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. They flow from the Father's throne. They originate in heaven because He is the author of them. Do you understand? Now, if you're a Bible student, you know that 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, Now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. But those three would not be without these three in our text today. Without grace, there would be no opportunity for faith. You do understand that, right? For by grace are you saved through faith. For without mercy, there would be no hope. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Friend, that's mercy. That's mercy on display. And without the peace of God that's provided through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, there would be no possibility of the love of God ever being shed abroad in our heart. Romans 5, 5 tells us about that. Grace is the goodness of God in giving us what we do not deserve. Mercy is the is the goodness of God in not giving us what we do deserve. And peace is the presence of God in us 
which we could never obtain. Paul knew full well in his life that it was only by the grace of God that Jesus had gotten up from his throne, had met him on the Damascus road after he stepped through the heavens. From that day forward, Paul could not get over the mercy and grace of God displayed on the bloodstained cross of Calvary. He had accepted Christ and experienced the sweet peace of God that passes all understanding and now grace, mercy, and peace were the very driving forces in his life. And they were what he wanted for everyone around him. Grace, mercy, peace. That's what I want in your life. He wanted everyone to experience that, especially Timothy, his beloved son. Dad, Mom, I want to ask you today, what is it that you want most for your children? Fame, fortune, or to be great in the faith? One day every dollar will be destroyed. One day every ounce of pride will be punished It will receive its punishment and nothing will remain except those things done in the faith. Now, Dad, I ask you, draw up close to me. I've realized that no one can extend grace unless they've experienced it. Now, I want you to just get personal in your own life right now. Looking back to your date, where's your sign? What's it got on it? That date in your life of redemption, the bondage you were under prior... Do you remember what it was like in the moment that the sweet grace of God ushered in release, the release of redemption in your life? Your past was gone. Friend, if you've not experienced that kind of grace, you'll never be able to extend that kind of grace. If you've not been experienced mercy, you'll not be able to give mercy. And if you have no peace in your heart, there'll be no peace in your home. So we see the evidence of a spiritual... Adoption to Timothy, a beloved son. That's my boy. We see Paul saying, that's my boy. We see the blessing. Secondly, notice the special adoration in verses 3 through 5. Paul again says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. Now listen, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Can't you hear the affection? Greatly desiring to see you. Being mindful of your tears, in my mind I see Timothy and Paul embracing the last opportunity they had to see each other. And and as they're leaving, Timothy weeping bitter tears because he knows that that may be the last time he ever sees his father in the faith. He says, I'm mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. Paul had a desire to see this young man again. Why? Because there was an explosion of joy in his heart every time they came into one another's presence. Now I want you to see some things in more detail here. First we see in verse number 3, Paul giving praise. I'm paraphrasing, but Paul is saying unto God, Timothy, I thank God night and day for you. Thank unto Timothy, I thank God night and day for you. Now let me just be plain here, Daddy. Do your children ever hear you say how much of a blessing they are or how much of a burden they are? I mean, how do your children view themselves in light of your family relationship? Do they consider themselves to be a burden to you or a blessing to you? 
Psalm 127 verses 3 through 5 says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. I wonder today, Daddy, does your family ever see you give praise to God? Do they ever see you lift your hands to the heavens and exalting the Lord Jesus in your life? Do they ever hear your lips speak the highest praises of the Lamb? Does your family ever hear you exalt the name of Christ? Let's be more specific. More specific. Do your children ever hear you thank God for them? Have your children ever heard you give praise to God in prayer for them? You say, well, that's just too mushy for me. I'm not that kind of guy. Paul here is not afraid to show his affection toward Timothy with Timothy. He's not afraid. I mean, I want to be honest with you. I know who you are. We like to be rough and brash and bold. I got fired up last night at the airport about midnight. Before it was over, I was apologizing to a guy. He was apologizing to me and everything was good to go. But the reality of it is, deep down in our hearts, men, we need to be tender toward the things of God. Scripture calls us to be tender-hearted and gentle. And let me just say right here, the Scripture calls us all to be tender-hearted and gentle. Now hear what I'm going to say. You're not, you may not like it, but I'm going to say it anyway. To refuse to be tender-hearted and gentle, when God commands it, to refuse it is just as much disobedience as walking in blatant immorality. You say, I don't like that. I'm not, I'm not living an ungodly life. Well, friend, are you obeying the Scripture? Let's just get down to bare bones right here. That's, that's where we got to get to at Hillcrest Baptist Church. We may not be living like the heathen, but are we living like the Lord? What kind of example are we setting here? We, we, see, we see in Paul's letter here to Timothy, he says that my forefathers served God. His example, the, the, the forefathers, Paul, Paul's forefathers had set a great example for him. Daddy, what kind of example are you setting in the home? Do your children see you walk by faith or by the flesh, by your feelings? Is everything in your life pertaining to God forced by your spouse? Are you just here today, Daddy, because Mama drug you along to church on Father's Day? Are you under the Lord's authority or do you walk by your own anger? Friend, listen to me. If you walk in anger in your home, you'll raise bitter children. Daddy, is there hate in your heart this morning because you've been hurt by your father in the past? See, I've experienced those things. I I can get deep down where you are. I I know what that's like. I know what that's like. But I also know only Jesus can bring healing to your soul. So we see the example here set by Paul's forefathers, but notice the enablement. We just looked at Paul giving praise to God. That concerns his worship. Now we see he says he serves God. That concerns his work. 
And the reality is we will not do much of either unless we have a pure conscience. And that's what he says right there. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. You know, a dirty conscience will hinder your worship and your work for the Lord. You will not offer up the sweet sacrifices of praise, nor will you serve the Lord effectively unless you have a pure conscience. And if you have a dirty conscience today, friend, there's only one that can cleanse that. That's the Lord Jesus. The best thing that we could do is fall humbly on our face today before God, asking for the release of that sin uh, that only Christ can give. And so, Daddy, Mama, I, I just want to ask you in the home today, when's the last time your children ever heard you praying a prayer of brokenness over your sin? Say, well, I don't tell my children about my sin. Well, you can be sure your sin will find you out. Your children are going to learn from your example. It's the last time they heard you come before the Lord and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Jesus, I know I've made a mistake today. I need you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me. Have your children ever heard you pray and weep with bitter tears over, over, over sin in your life or over things the way they are in your home? I know you don't have everything perfect in your home. Nothing's perfect in mine. We all have struggles. But friend, God can help us through them. Have they ever seen you in brokenness over the things of God or are you simply too dignified? The reality is you may not be too dignified at all. You may just simply be dead in your trespasses and sins. Isaiah says, come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Every member in the body of Christ abroad and here at Hillcrest Baptist Church Friend, we need our conscience cleansed and our sin cleansed on a regular basis. Regular basis. Let me just get personal. Are you... I'm asking questions here today. The Spirit of God is going to point point the finger where it needs to go, okay? I'm simply asking questions. Are you talking when you need to be silent? Is your gossip revealing the greed in your heart for power, position, and prestige? Are you lazy, lust-filled, and living in the past? Are you haughty and have no humility at all? Do you have a dirty conscience today? Friend, repent and let the times of refreshing that Peter spoke of in Acts 3 usher over your soul. He said, Jesus came to bless you. Friend, we don't have to live in defeat. Jesus brings victory. So we see Paul... Here he's he's giving praise to God. We see this example. We see this enablement. The pure conscience enabled Paul to serve. You know what I found? In those moments, and I'll speak more to this in a minute, when I'm prompted by the Holy Ghost in my heart to say a word, to do something, and I don't do it, you know what happens? Conviction. And I lose the purity of my conscience. Why? I sinned against it. I didn't do that which I knew I should have done. And in those moments that that happens, we'll begin to have that inner battle. Well, God, did I really need to do that? Should I have really done that? What am I going to do now? Well, it's too late now. What? Example. 
Did y'all like that? I pulled a Brother Mike right there, example. <laughs> last week I was in Phoenix at the Southern Baptist Convention. I, uh, on the last night we went down to a little restaurant to eat lunch, eat supper, and uh, my girls and I were sitting there and they didn't know, but enter inwardly. I began to sense the Spirit of God leading me to talk to this waiter concerning his soul. I began to wrestle for a moment. Now, sometimes I'm quick on the I'm quick on the trigger. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I can just. Sometimes I'm just like everyone else from time to time. And so, in that moment, I began to struggle, have this inner battle. I didn't have a track with me. He was on the move, and la di da, you know, whatever. I had walked in peace, inner, in my heart, the entire week because I, when I was prompted, I. Speak the gospel. I, but in that moment, I didn't. You know what happened? That peace, I didn't lose peace with God. You understand? But that peace that I had in my heart, once I didn't do what God had told me to do, became a struggle. Do you understand? And so here I am. I'm sitting in the same position I was and I'm walking down the same street I was. One minute I was in perfect harmony with God. The next minute uh, there's, there's a bit of a, a struggle in my mind. Why? Because I didn't do what God had prompted me to do. And so I walk about uh, half a mile back to the hotel, uh, 100 degrees. And by the time I got back to the hotel, you know, uh, you'd think God leave you alone. No. No. Friend, God's going to go home with you today. You walk out that back door on the conviction, don't think you're going to get away from God. And so here I am, I go up to the hotel room, we're, 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 we're kind of hanging out there for a minute, and I'm reaching my bag. I pull out a track. Candy says, what are you doing? I said, i got to go. I walked back down to that place where we ate at. Amen. I walked in there, Amen. and that guy was leaned over the bar, and I knocked on his shoulder, and I said, sir, I'm a Christian. I try to witness to folks as I go. I wanted to bring this back to you and tell you that the Lord loves you. That's all I said. He took that track, and he looked at me, and he said, thank you. I don't know if you'll ever get saved or not. And I certainly could have been a better example, better witness. But there's one thing I'd done. I'd sinned against my own conscience. And that was the only thing I could do then to make that right. Now realize this. We're going to make mistakes. But when we make mistakes, what do we do? We do what we can to make things right. Right? Right? Lord, I'm sorry. And then I make an effort to fix my mistake. Are you all with me? Amen. Amen. So look here. Now we see Paul's passion. Notice again he mentions the conscience. The inner voice. He's speaking of the conscience. Paul mentions the conscience elsewhere. Romans 9.1 He says, I tell you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Dad, point blank today. What is your passion? What's your passion? What is it that's always on your mind? Does the soul of the lost man ever come up in conversation in your home? Do you ever openly acknowledge in your home the need for a personal witness, not only from you, not only from your wife, but from your children? Have your children ever seen you in action in an effort to win the lost soul? 
The very pulsating passion of Paul's heart was to win his lost brethren. What's yours? Leonard Ravenhill once said this, Where, oh where, are the eternity conscious believers? Where are the souls white hot for God because they fear His holy name and presence and so live with eternity's values in view? I ask today like Brother Ravenhill, where, oh where, are the eternity conscious dads who lead their homes to value lost souls? Where are the eternity conscious fathers who lead their children to live for the next life, not this one? was Paul's passion. He's leading Timothy, setting the example for him. He's had an example set, and now he's setting an example. He's leaving these words of enablement. Fourthly, notice Paul's persuasion, verse number 5. Verse 5, he says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, is in you also. Now we need to realize today what is happening here and see the importance of it in our lives. Are you looking? Say, I'm looking. This is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. You got that? I mean, we're grabbing that? And he, in essence, is saying to this young disciple, Timothy, Timothy, I believe in you. Not because he's confident in Timothy's flesh, but because he is confident in Timothy's faith. Let no man have confidence in the flesh, friend, but we can have confidence in the faith. Now let me ask you today. How many times have you told your children that they can change the world? Not from a ball, but with a Bible. Young people, you hear me today. You can change the world. You can change the world. Jesus took Saul of Tarsus and saved him, filled him with the Holy Ghost and began to take him around the globe for the glory of God. How many times have you told your children that they can make a difference? Let's go a step further, Hillcrest. When's the last time you looked at someone younger in the faith and placed confidence in the fact that God could use them for His kingdom's work? Friends, we're called to encourage one another. You say, Brother Shane, that's just not my personality. You say, he's just not like that. Listen, you know what? I'm tired of individuals making excuses in the body of Christ for their sin. Don't you tell me that's just not my personality and that's, not just who, that's just not who I am. When you say that, you're revealing a deeper problem within your heart that says, I'm not willing to change for the glory of God. Friend, that's not a repentant heart at all. And I know you know, repentance is not a one-time, once-and-done deal. Friend, repentance is a daily walk with God. A choosing to turn away from everything that God hates. The very thought of sin. And so if that's your attitude today, friend, listen. Hear me. Fall on the mercy of God. Seek the grace of God. Cry out into the heavens and say unto the Lord, God, you are the potter, I am the clay. Break me and mold me in what you'd have me to be. So we see 
this spiritual adoption, we see this special adoration. But thirdly, notice this supernatural admonition in verses 6 through 8. Paul says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. There are different interpretations as to exactly what Paul is speaking of here. But there's one thing we know for certain that the Spirit of God living in Timothy was indeed a gift from God. And so it may be that just like throughout the book of Acts or just like in Paul's life, that at some point Paul laid hands on him and that because it was an initiation of new things, Timothy received the Spirit of God just like Paul did. Listen, I don't know, but here's what I know today. When you call on the name of the Lord Jesus and you repent of your sin and receive Christ as Lord, the Bible is plain, then you receive the Spirit of God. You are born, birthed into the family of God, born again. The Spirit of God, just as Romans 8.15 says, moves into your heart. Now you can cry out unto the Father, Abba, Father. Now look here. We need to be reminded to stir up the gift of God in us. Now, notice what Paul speaks to first. He speaks to to Timothy's weakness. He speaks straight to Timothy's weakness. Notice verse number 6. He says, Wherefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Now listen, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. The word fear, I just assumed it to be the word we get our English phobia from, but that's not the word at all. It's not a word about fear alone, but more about faith. It's about Timothy's faith. This word means timidity. But it comes from a word that means dread and implies being faithless. Do you get the picture here? This, is the, this Greek word only used once in all the New Testament right here. Paul, speaking to this young disciple is telling him not to be timid, not to be faithless. And so here he is, he's living in a chaotic world, no doubt going against the grain of the culture. And Paul's saying, Timothy, don't be timid. Concerning what? Simply the sharing of his faith. I shared with you that story earlier because I want you to understand we are all timid at times. But in those times when we shy away and shrink back into our shell after we've been prompted by the Holy Ghost of God to share our faith, you know what we are? If we don't do it, we're faithless. I don't like that, but that's God's Word. So in those moments that we don't share our faith, we're being faithless. But realize what Paul is saying here. We do not have to be Timid. It seems that Timothy may have had a problem here, so Paul speaks to it. But notice what he did not do. He did not discourage him, but rather he identifies the problem and he counters it with power. Dad, listen, if you attack anger with anger, you know what you'll get? Anger. 
But if you attack anger in the home with love, then you are changing the thermostat. You are changing the culture. You are changing the outcome. Here Paul attacks weakness with strength. The dynamite power of God. For God has not given us to a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Power is the Greek dunamis. That's where we get our word dynamite from. Love is the Greek agape. That's the sacrificial, self-giving Calvary love. When you put those two together, you get Calvary kind of power. Life-giving, sin-killing, death-defeating power. But this spirit that we have, it's not only a spirit of power and of love, it's of a sound mind. When the world's in chaos, you can have calmness in your heart because it is well with your soul. Now let me just say to the one who's struggling in the battle in your mind today, God's not the author of confusion. If there's chaos in here, friend, listen. The thief come but to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he'll do that in the mind. That's why Paul said we ought to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Why? Paul knew what it was like to fight that battle. Notice Paul here, he speaks not only of Timothy's weakness, but now he speaks about Timothy's witness. Timothy's witness. Verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Just what is the testimony of Christ? Well, John would say it like this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shone in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He would later say in verse 14 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What is the testimony of Jesus Christ? Christ was the eternal, virgin-born, sinless Son of God who came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He came to save the people from their sin, to simply seek and save that which was lost, completing it by way of the cross. He was betrayed, wrongfully accused, and viciously abused. He was mocked, he was marred, he was spit upon, shamefully treated, and scourged. His body was beaten and bruised. He carried his cross to Calvary where he was crucified. There, darkness of night fell at noon, and for three hours the weight of the world's sin pressed upon his sinless shoulders. He was delivering himself to death while delivering us to life. He gave up the ghost, was put in the grave, but thank God on the third day he was gone. He swallowed up death in victory. Up from the grave he arose. He walked on this earth some 40 days, seen by as many as 500 witnesses at one time. Then he ascended into the heavens where he still remains just as alive today as he was when he left and he is seated at the right hand of God the place of power and honor awaiting the day that the father says go get my children and bring them home that's the testimony of Jesus Christ but what's your testimony 
Have you received that Jesus as your Lord? It was a famous line in the movie Jerry Maguire, Show Me the Money. Friend, you can show me your money if you want to. But I'd rather hear your testimony. Notice what Paul does here. He moves from the testimony of Christ to his own personal testimony. He's telling Timothy not to be ashamed of the testimony of Christ, but also of his own testimony as a prisoner. And we need to realize what's being stated. How many of you would agree this morning that the Apostle Paul is a radical Christian? He's radical, man. David Platt ain't got nothing on this guy. He was very radical. All of the early church fathers, the disciples were radical. In fact, all of the eleven minus Judas, except John the Beloved, died a martyr's death. They were radical. Paul in this letter is simply waiting for his own head to be removed. Nero is going to kill him. But notice what Paul says. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Look at what he says. Look in the Bible. Look at the Scripture. Nor of me, his prisoner. Friend, in my Bible, that H is capitalized. Do you know why? Paul said, I'm not Nero's prisoner. I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Timothy, don't you be ashamed of me. How could he say that? How could this great man of God say that I don't belong to Nero? I'm not under his bondage. I'm a slave of righteousness. I belong to Jesus. How could he do that? Because he knew that Jesus was in control of his life. Jesus was in control of the governing authorities. And Jesus still is today. Daddy, I ask you today, who do you belong to? Are you running your life or is Jesus? Who do you belong to? Can you, like Paul, honestly say with a pure conscience today, a pure conscience, that you belong to Jesus and whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Notice something else. Not only do we see Paul taking ownership of his situation, he said, hey, I'm, I'm the prisoner of Jesus. But realize this. He says, Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. Do we not have a tendency to avoid individuals who might be labeled as extreme? Don't we? We do. Some young Christian comes in the house of God today on fire for the Lord. They come, they come in, they begin to shout praises unto God and, and, and they just overjoyed because of the deepness of redemption in their soul. Man, if we're not in the same place they are, you know what we'll do? What's wrong with them? What's he so tore up about? Friend, have you forgotten Calvary? God help us 
If we were to ever look at somebody like that and go to the back door on our way out and say, if you don't calm that boy down, I'm not coming back. No, sir. You need to fall on your face before God and ask for that same flame to be beat upon your heart. Paul said, don't be ashamed of me. I'm the prisoner of Jesus. As a young Christian, Johnny Hunt, who knew very little Scripture, was once labeled as ignorance on fire. But later on, when introduced by an extremely educated individual to speak at a certain event, that man who introduced him said in reference to that statement that was once made about Johnny Hunt, I had rather be ignorance on fire than intellect on ice. Church, can I be honest with you today? Some of you know way too much and are doing way too little with it. Daddy, what are you doing with the faith that dwells in your heart? Hill Chris, we've got to learn how to give ourselves away. Jesus said, He who saves his life will lose it. But he loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. I'm calling every daddy today not to get up and walk out of the balcony or walk out that door or walk out that door. If you've got to go to work, I understand. But friend, if you're just trying to make it first to the buffet, you need to hear God. I'm calling every daddy today. You may not be able to come to this altar. You may simply do it right where you sit. But I'm asking you today for the glory of God and for the good of your family to ask God to help you today. Lead your family in the ways of God. If you're here today and you are lost, Daddy, you may be lost today. Listen to me. You'll never, ever, I don't care how strong you are, I don't care how much money you got. I don't care how much power you have in your workplace. You'll never escape the consequences of your sin. But if you'll simply repent and fall on the grace of God today, forgiveness will be yours.